Thank you for coming back and listening to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want to check out my company, visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. For those of you that don't know, we're a retailer in the musky world, and we carry most every major manufacturer, including a bunch of the small basement, tinier little guys. So if you're looking for that hard-to-find lure, we probably have it. We have them available in regular standard colors. We got them available in a bunch of custom stuff. And check it out if you're looking for gear for your next musky trip. Typically, we have co-hosts Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to check out their company, check out muskymayhemtackle.com. They're the original creators of the big blades in the musky world, big bladed flashaboo baits. Anyways, I kicked them out again today, mostly scheduling related, Brad and Carrie. I'm hoping they're either going to have been on the last podcast or they'll be on the next podcast. Just a small spot here where I needed to just get a few things recorded. So I just took the liberty to do it on my own and went out. And I had been talking to Brian Scaife from Angling Anarchy for probably, I would say, roughly six or seven months. Finally, the two of us were able to get our schedules lined up. And we're going to talk a little bit tonight about, well, first we're going to talk about his background. We're going to talk about how his season's going. But then we're also going to talk a little bit about, not not even a little bit, we're going to talk, the majority of it's going to be about fishing and filming, tips on how to get going in the filming industry. I know we talked about this on an episode with Ross from Burning Eights probably, I don't know, six, seven, eight months ago. Hard to say. Time goes by so fast. But if you're looking to get involved in, you know, filming your catches, which is something that seems to be more and more prevalent in fishing and musky fishing, Brian and I are going to kind of lay down the equipment, how to get these things to run without too many issues. Inherently, they do have issues because they're an electronic device, so it's going to create some problems. But if you're interested in that kind of thing, that's the majority of what we're going to do. This episode, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about his season and how he's going, you know, how things are going, how he got in uh, into fishing. Talk a little bit about Chaos Tackle because Brian is involved with the Chaos Tackle brand. Him and Rick Elbers uh, started up a, a bucktail brand and then they've since moved it on. Rick is the primary primary owner, but Rick or uh, Brian is Rick's son-in-law, so therefore he's kind of involved with it as well. That's what our episode is going to be for today. So without any further ado, again, nobody here to BS with back and forth. We're just here to get get the job done for the week, and I'm going to go and get Brian Scaife on the line now. All right, everybody, our guest today is Brian Scaife. He runs a YouTube channel called Angling Anarchy. He's also involved in the Chaos Tackle with Rick Elbers from Chaos Tackle. Hey, Brian, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to do a podcast with us. How are things going today? Uh, very good, Jeff. Uh, this is uh, this is a pleasure, man. You know, we've talked about doing this for a little while now, so it's uh, it's fun to actually be on the phone with you and, and getting this podcast done, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think we've only kicked this one back and forth since, so oh, probably, uh, I don't know, February-ish or whatever, but you know right. how it is. <laughs> uh, time gets away from you, schedules get busy. But I'm glad that we were able to finally work this one out. I know we had gone back and forth for a couple of weeks here to try to work a day out to make sure that something could happen. So I'm glad that we finally did. But um, yep, me too, man. With that being said, Brian, why don't you, uh, you know, for people that don't know about you or or uh, you know what you're up to, why don't you talk a little bit about your background and then also talk a little bit about your channel, where guys can find sure. you and that stuff? Because I mean, I, you know, we've had a couple another YouTuber on last. Uh, Last year we had uh, Ross on from Burning Eights, and it, you know the mm-hmm. one thing that it, that's I guess kind of understated is like how difficult it is to to continually put out content, you know, consistently. 
it's one thing to put out a video every month like I do or every two months like I do. It's another thing totally different to put a to put one out every week, which you've been doing for, from what I can tell, for quite some time. I don't know. You may have missed one, but I haven't seen it. So um, it's, For about a year and a half, I think I've maybe missed two or three weekends in about a year and a half now. So. Yeah, it's a, like I said, it's it's a difficult thing. And, you know, for this mm-hmm. episode, just kind of give everybody an idea where we're going to go. We're going to talk a little bit about Brian's background. We're going to talk a little bit about his season. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the equipment, the whole process, the thing. If you're interested in going down the filming route, which, you know, even if you're not going to put them up on YouTube, I always think it's a really good thing to run a camera in your boat for a lot of different reasons. I mean, you probably have seen it. You can, you can pull stills off of these GoPros or whatever cameras you're using these days. I, I personally use GoPros or... I've been using a lot of the DJI Osmo action cameras too. And you mm-hmm. can get some of the coolest shots that you wouldn't get if you didn't have this GoPro running. So it's, you know, one of those things that I think for for a lot of people it's a it's a benefit to be running one in their boat. Oh, absolutely. I I do a class at the Capital City Muskies does a, a Muskie school. So I usually do a GoPro class and one of the things that I hit on with everybody is like you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be filming for a YouTube channel. It can be filming for yourself, just like you take photos for yourself. But if you say you hook into a fish or you get an, an epic topwater strike, but the fish gets off, instead of just having a story about that, you've got a story and you can show, you know, people this cool topwater strike, the fish coming out of the water, shaking the bait. So you've got a little bit more with video than, the, than just a photo. And then, like you said, you can pull stills off, off these cameras. The resolution on the cameras is such that, that the stills are just as good as any picture you would take. So I do encourage people to just throw a GoPro in the boat, whether it's back in the corner on a, a YOLO tech stick or a, a head cam or a chest cam. It gives you a bunch of different perspectives that you might not get by just taking photos. And, you know, it's something you can hold on to. It's a memory. It's, it's a moving photograph, if you will. And it's, it's really cool to be able to do that. Absolutely. And we'll get into that, the, the equipment used and how to make this, uh, you know, less playing around. Back in the day, if you wanted to do it, you had to have a GoPro camera and then you changed out the batteries every hour and a half and you'd have to have 75 <laughs> batteries stacked up to make this work for a day. And that's just to try to get one camera to work out. We're now with battery packs and cords and like you talked about with the YOLO tech. And um, if you would use looping features or even if you don't use a looping feature and you use like a 256 gig memory card, you can literally run these things for seven, eight hours at a time and not really have to touch them. So it's not like uh, I, w- I wouldn't say like the initial setup once, you know, when you first jump on the water for the day, the initial setup is going to be a little bit of work. But after that, it's uh, you can you want to say it's like set it and forget it. But for the most part, you can do that. And, and like I said, it can be beneficial for a lot of different reasons. But before we jump too far into things, why don't we talk a little bit about about uh, you know your your uh, background as far as the fishing? We'll talk a little bit about what got you into um, you know building building bucktails with Rick from Chaos Tackle. Let's go down that road a little bit, and then uh, you also had another YouTube channel, Catch the Vibe Outdoors, before you had this one. And let's talk a little bit about all that. So if you want, why don't you break down the history for you a little bit? All right. Well, let's see. I guess I've, I've always loved fishing. I was one of those kids that when we went on a family vacation, I wasn't so worried about where we were going as I was about that lake over there off the side of the road, wondering what kind of fish were over there and, and that sort of thing. So I've, I've always had a, a big passion for fishing. 
fishing in the Madison area with my grandpa's for panfish and that sort of thing. Uh, but I always, I always enjoyed pan fishing, but I always aspired to catch bigger fish. You know, I always wanted to go bass fishing. And then once I went bass fishing, well, now I want to catch a walleye and sort of made my way up until I guess it was 1993. I went to Canada for the first time up in the Vermilion Bay area, just north of Eagle Lake, where we go a lot now with my grandfather. And there was a small chain of lakes and the Indian Lake chain, which some of the guys out there listening will probably know we were staying on, on Indian Lake. And earlier that day, I had caught a 30-inch walleye, and that was really cool. You know, we were slip power fishing. Caught that fish and went out that afternoon, and I really wasn't worried about slip power fishing anymore because I thought, okay, I caught my big fish for the, the trip, kind of. And I specifically remember I had a half-ounce Fire Tiger Bill Lewis rattle trap that I was casting towards this point that we were anchored on and slip bobber fishing for smallmouth and walleye. And I'm reeling this bait in and this fish follows in. And I didn't, I had no idea what it was. And it just kind of took off. So I made another cast and it followed in again. And if you can imagine the baits hanging there with the fish's nose on the bait and I vertical jigged it two or three times and it just came unglued and hit it. And that was my first muskie. And that is kind of what really got me going on this whole thing. And I, I wasn't a, a real hardcore musky fisherman, you could say, until probably it was the late 2008, 2009, uh, that that era. And I started going up to Eagle Lake with some friends of mine in town, uh, the Joneses. And we'd go up there, and, and one of my first fish on Eagle Lake was actually a 44-incher that I caught on a field mouse pattern, uh, Joe Booker top raider. So I remember that fish uh, quite vividly. And... You know, that, that was probably another one of those seminal moments in musky fishing history for me that, that really solidified the fact that I wanted to chase these things uh, almost exclusively. After that, I got, so Rick Albers from Chaos Tackle is actually my father-in-law. So uh, he's kind of stuck with me and I'm stuck with him, <laughs> <laughs> as it were. And uh, I believe Rick and I went up to, I took Rick up to Eagle Lake for the first time in 2010 because prior to that, he was more of a bass fisherman as was I and we, we went up there and and had a really crummy week it was one of those weeks in northwest Ontario it was July but it was 50 degrees out and you could see your breath and we really struggled uh the whole week except for the last day uh I got a 42 and a half on a reef hog I believe and then Rick caught a 48 probably on a manta uh if uh, that was his favorite bait back in the day so driving home from that, that trip, even though the previous seven days were junk that last day, uh, I could tell he was excited about musky fishing now. And I think I was a little bit more excited about it. And, and ever since then, uh, I think that's where we both really caught the bug hard and, and made musky fishing our, our main, uh, goal as, as far as that stuff went. The, the bait thing came around, uh, Rick and I started East Ox Assault Tackle the weekend the Packers won the Super Bowl <laughs> and we were down at his farm. I think I was doing a little squirrel hunting. He was, uh, anybody that knows Rick knows he's a, a diehard deer hunter, uh, bow hunter. So he was down there taking care of some of the, the things on his farm. I was doing a little squirrel hunting. We were kind of driving around and he, he looked at me and, and basically said, should we make bucktails? I said, well, if you want to, I'm in. So that's kind of how Esox assault started. Uh, we did shows, just making the bucktails 
for two or three years, and I can't remember the exact timeline, but uh, shortly thereafter, Rick purchased Chaos Tackle and the Medusa from Chase and Summers. And then after that, uh, it was Custom X crankbaits. It was Big Mama Topwaters, uh, Shum Shum glide baits. And quite honestly, I'm probably missing something in there because there's so much <laughs> that we have now. But um, I guess that's the, sort of the short version of the the genesis of, of Rick and I working together and, and Chaos Tackle kind of starting out. So for people that don't know, that's Brian's one of the guys that's hanging out in the Chaos booth all the time. Based off of his story, he doesn't really have a choice whether or not he's going to be there or not. I think that he's uh, going to be in a little bit of trouble with the in-laws if he's, uh, if, if he's not there. So he's kind of married to that one a little bit. Literally. I think the one thing that's kind of funny, I heard you say you're, you, know, you drive by a lake or whatever, and you think what kind of fish are in there. And uh, that's one of those things where I think I, I think you and I and most guys that are addicted to fishing, we probably still do that. Like I'll drive over like some of these smaller like creek river things and they're, you know, they're really small, small enough where you could easily cast across them. No problem. And I'm always thinking, man, mm-hmm. I wonder if I could get a canoe in there. If like there's muskies in there, like I, the problem right. is you don't have the time to investigate all this stuff, but I wish I did because <laughs> it would be, you know, just cool to see what what happens, you know, in some of these instances, because, you know, that that's the stuff that I think of when I'm driving around, you know, I make trips up North or I make trips to Hayward to go fishing or even down South, you see these small areas and you, those are, those are things that you, uh, that you think about. And that's, I think that a lot of us are, that are really into the, that are bitten by the, whether it be any type of fish, I'm sure there's bass guys that are hardcore in a small mouth or large mouth and they're probably thinking the same thing. So. Absolutely. And that, the trip to Canada is sometimes torturous to me because you drive past all of these different creeks and lakes and streams and you want to get to your final destination. We're typically going to Eagle Lake, so we're going to these world-class waters. And along the way, you still have this urge of, well, maybe we could pull over over here and make a couple casts just to see if we can contact anything. So I, I think you're right. I think anybody that's really passionate about, about the sport of fishing, no matter what you're fishing for, sort of has that has had that drive ever since they were little to explore uh what just what's in the water absolutely so then let's talk about before we go into talking about the youtube side of things let's well actually mm-hmm. we should probably back up so we you know because we talked about the background of uh you know you into fishing and the chaos tackle thing so what what made you decide you want to go start filming all this youtube stuff because i'm i'm sure you didn't realize how much work it is in the beginning but you re- definitely realize it now like what happened there? Oh, and then yeah. let, let's talk about, you know, uh, let's talk about the catch the vibe channel too. Cause you had that one going also. And if you mm-hmm. can maybe, maybe talk a little bit about how you went from that channel to the new channel that you're in. Absolutely. So I was actually just looking before we started talking to see what my first GoPro footage was that I had. And it's actually from Eagle Lake, July of 2013. I had a, a hero three plus black, and I had a, a head mount and I've got a couple of, of shots of Rick and I fishing together and we get some follows and some swipes at the boat and, and that sort of thing. And I think like a lot of people, I thought once I had this GoPro, I can film and make these spectacular videos. You know, everybody watches, you know, at least I as a kid, I was watching in fishermen and the Lindners and, and all these people and I always kind of wanted to have a, fishing show or be on a fishing show. So I think the GoPro, once it got to a point where the 
it was easy enough to wear on your person or have one in the boat. Uh, I think a lot of guys got bitten by that bug and you find out really fast that regardless of how cool the clips you have, if you only have one camera, there's not, there's not a ton you can do with it. And you don't realize how important audio is until you hear the crummy audio that you have. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, that I'll talk about too a lot when I do that class at the uh, Capital City Muskie School. There's, there's all these guys that they've had this GoPro sitting around and it's just collecting dust because they thought it would be cool to do this, but then they started thinking about all the other ancillary things that go along with it. And it, it starts to seem like a uh, pretty monumental task, which it, it can be once you get to the level where um, you're running four, five, six cameras and you're trying to edit it all together. So it, it escalates very quickly from, from one camera to multiple cameras. And it's, it's, it can be really hard to make that jump if you are not 100% committed to doing all that work and setting up the cameras every time and uh, going back and, and then editing the footage. Cause that's the easy part. The easy part is actually taking the camera out in the boat and, and filming something and yeah, you can get this cool footage that you can watch, but taking that and editing it and actually rendering it into a video that you can share, that, there's a lot of work involved there, as you well know. Absolutely. I know well. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy how much there is to it. So let, <laughs> we'll, we'll go down that route, but let's talk a little bit about fishing for this season. How's, how's fishing been for this season? Because I know for me personally, it hasn't been that great. I'm hoping that the the remaining whatever three and a half months of the season for me, I'm hoping anyways we're we're gonna be able to fish through November. Sometimes that's hit and mm-hmm. miss. Down where you are in the south, I think last year you guys maybe froze up for a little while and then actually opened up enough where you could get back out in December. But yep. I, I mean, so for me, I'm hoping that I'm gonna have a September and October and a November to try to redeem myself essentially because, quite honestly, this season for me has stunk now. You know, some of that also plays a factor of time on the water. My time on the water this year has been less than it was in previous seasons as well. But mm-hmm. with that being said, when I have time on the water, it hasn't been that great. What's your sure. What's your take on this season so far, especially because you do most of your stuff in Wisconsin. Typically, I know you ran some trips to Canada, whereas obviously this year that's not going to happen. So how's, yeah, that how's was, Wisconsin that was, been treating you? That was the really rough part. Uh, so far, Wisconsin's been tough. Um, I would always rely. And I think that's what people would look forward to is, uh, there's a lot of footage of, or a lot of videos of guys on Lake of the woods, not so much uh, of Eagle Lake. And that's where we always go. Uh, I do two trips, usually, uh, one on the opener and then one in the middle of August to Eagle Lake in Ontario. And I would typically rely on those two trips to get me, you know, basically 16 out of the 52 weeks of the year, I knew I would have a video from those trips because you're fishing all day. Uh, the fishing is fantastic up there. So every day for me is pretty much can be turned into a video. If you catch enough fish, you could possibly split that up and turn it into two. So with the whole COVID-19 issue and not being able to cross the border, that really put a crimp in my style as far as what I'm typically doing in the summertime for musky fishing. Now, what we did do is, uh, I have some friends up in Northern Wisconsin, so I had cabins to go to. So we, instead of going on our Canada trips, we used that time to go up to Northern Wisconsin. And in June we did okay. We put, we put some fish in the boat, uh, not Canada numbers, not Canada size, obviously, but 
I, I think what people maybe don't remember or forget to realize is that, you know, a trophy fish in Eagle Lake waters is maybe a 50 incher and a trophy fish on some of these small Northern Wisconsin bodies of water might be a 40 incher. So even though you're not pulling these giant fish out of this giant world-class body of water, you know, getting a 38 or a 39 out of a little Northern Wisconsin puddle can be just as much of a trophy for that, that body of water. And I, I try to look at it at that way. Um, as far as fishing around uh, my neck of the woods, I'm in Janesville, so I'm, I'm very close to Madison. I guess I would call the Madison chain my home body of water, even though I, I probably fish in northern Wisconsin more. That has been relatively tough. I did get out with uh, another gentleman in the area. He's a guide, Noah Humfeld, uh, and we got a nice 42 and a half incher uh, on a recent video that we did on a flap tail. Uh, so that was that was nice to get that fish in the boat. But yeah, other than that, it's, I was just up in Northern Wisconsin for six days. I fished with Robbie from today's angler and, uh, in two days of fishing with him, I don't think we put, uh, one muskie in the boat. We contacted a lot of fish, but we, you know, we, we tried fishing some, uh, trophy bodies of water. So kind of lower density, uh, a, a tougher bite. And, uh, yeah, it's, I guess the, the long and short of it is it's been a rough season so far. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's been, like I said, for me, it's been tough. I've been catching fish when I go out, but I can't get one that's over 35 for the life of me right now. I don't, I honestly, mm -hmm. I think this is the longest it's ever taken me to catch one that's 40. And I, I don't, I don't, pretty sure I don't even have one that's 40 yet. So it's been, it's been a little, it's been a little rough. I know I'm heading back up to Northern Wisconsin here soon. I don't, it might, it might actually have happened by the time you hear this podcast. I'll, I'll have been gone already. <laughs> Like it's, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what the release date on this one is yet, but I know cause I've been trying to, I've been trying to record a couple of these because like I'm in this weird schedule where I'm fishing for a couple of days and then I'm back home for a couple of days and then I'm gone for a little bit longer fishing again because all my, any of my YouTube stuff that we try to film is all scheduled well in advance. Like I schedule that stuff in February, probably, you know, like, sure. you, like you would any other trip you know, just to try to, cause I mean, I fish normally with, you know, guides and things like that. So I'm, I'm, you know, they're always booked. So I need to book my schedule. So that's why you know, podcast schedule is a little bit screwed up right now. And then we have a labor day in there and back to school for the kids and things get kind of crazy. At least I hope the kids are going back to school, but anyways, Me too. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's been one of those things where, like I said, I don't even, I don't even think I have one that's 40. So for everybody out there that's listening, if you have a 38 inch muskie, you're doing <laughs> plenty fine in my opinion. <laughs> I did get lucky and did a, a river float trip. That was one of the really, it was kind of the, the, the one day I was in Northern Wisconsin where I kind of forgot that I was supposed to be in Canada. I did a, a river float trip up on one of those Northern Wisconsin lakes. And I, I managed to get a 44 incher, uh, with a, a buddy that I met at the Wisconsin Muskie Expo in Wausau. Um, I guess it was a little side note that guys really need to go to those things because you can, this is a guy that I met and talked to and, uh, if I hadn't gone to that show, I never would have met him and never would have had this experience of fishing with, with Corey Olson, uh, on the river up there and got this beautiful 44 incher. And it's just, a as far as filming goes for me, it was, it was the perfect thing because, you know, there's, there's rocks, there's sandbars, there's, there's all this kind of cool ancillary B-roll stuff that you can play with along with the main footage that you get. So uh, a trip like that was, was really cool. Uh, to be able to do so that was I guess that's kind of been the highlight for me so far was that 44 inch out of the river 
Well, I hope that uh, much much like me, I hope that you also have a better second half to your season as well. It's like I said, it's been it's been tough. I know a lot of the guides I talk to that you know, at least Wisconsin guides that I talk to, they've been they've been definitely struggling a little bit more. They've been putting fish in the boat, that's for sure. But they got to work mm-hmm. pretty hard for them, and it's been it hasn't been an easy season. I I had thought at the beginning of the year that we had a little more normal weather. I thought that was going to help us out, but. Uh, for me personally, I also, it didn't help any that I took off for whatever five weeks or whatever, when we have that, uh, that really hot stretch from end of June all the way through most of July. I don't, I don't think I launched my boat one time during then, you know, it it was one of those things where like I could have probably driven to find cooler water, but I had plenty to Mm do, you know, in the shop and keeping up with the team rhino business. So I said, well, whatever, hopefully I can try to get ahead, which hasn't happened yet, but, and then, uh, get, <laughs> maybe buy myself a little extra time when the weather's nicer and potentially the fishing is better. Yep. So yep. the main focus of this episode then was to try to talk to, you know, trying to get guys into, you know, get them some questions, answer some of the questions they would have if they were looking to get into fi- uh, filming. So Brian, sure. how many cameras are you running in your boat right now? So I run, if you've ever, if the guys have ever watched Keys Outdoors, which I'm sure most of them have watched uh, my Keys show, that was sort of my my inspiration for how I wanted to set my boat up uh, to have cameras initially because they've always had they always had that cool shot of the bow and the stern kind of up on a pole. So I basically cobbled together a way that I could make this sturdy pole out of three quarter inch metal conduit and and have it with the two cameras on it. And then I have two cameras on the gunnel of the boat. So those cool shots that you get of a fish hitting boat side or jumping boat side, you can capture those. And then I typically wear a chest mount camera. Uh, and that's where I get most of my audio from. I also have a Canon M50 mirrorless camera that I use as kind of my main camera. Once the fish is in the boat, and we can get that out and get some real high quality shots. And then I do have a drone that, uh, I thought I would use it a lot more often than I do, but you can still get some, some cool shots out of that. So I guess at any one time, at the very minimum, I've got five cameras running simultaneously, um, which is, it can be quite a chore. And if you're, if you don't know, as we alluded to before, if you don't know how to keep those things running continuously without changing batteries and without using that loop function, it turns into Basically, that's all you're doing all day is babysitting cameras. The kind of the art to to doing this filming, like you and I and some of the other guys out there, um, you know, Chaz Martin, Today's Angler, Doug Wagner, all those guys. Um, the big thing is to figure out how to get those cameras set up, be done with it in a five or ten minute span in the morning, and just let them run. And the only time you have to worry about them is when something happens. Yeah, and for me. I- I I'm probably similar to you. Let's see. So I'm running, I'm a, I'm running. I, I typically run one on my hat. I don't particularly love mm-hmm. the chest mount, but that's, you know, it's a personal preference thing. And so yep. I got the one on the one I wear on me. Usually then I have uh, two up on poles that face, you know, one guy casting in the back, one guy casting in the front. And then we normally mount something down low to get some figure eight action. So yeah, we'd be the same kind of deal. Roughly five yep. cameras that are going at one time. Getting back to your drone story, yes, drones are fun. Drones are not so fun when you crash them in the water. I learned that last year on oh, uh, no. St. Clair. Yep. I think it was probably the oh. f- second time I had that drone out. What happened was is that I was on a sh- on a filming deal with uh, Jason Quintano. 
Well, mm-hmm. you know how all those drones are these days. They all have so many sensors all over them. Okay. Yeah. So he's in this, uh, the big, the big trolling boat. What's well, got like this big rod rack with all these rods sticking up off of it. The sensors wouldn't allow me to bring the drone back into the water like or into, back into oh. the boat. I couldn't get it close enough. It wanted to keep, you know, telling me like, basically I'm going to hit a tree. So sure. we're like, so now at this point, the battery's starting to beep that we're getting low on battery. I'm kind of freaking out because this isn't, the, you, know, you know, how drones are, this isn't the cheapest piece of equipment that I've ever had no. before. And Not at all. Now it wants to start taking off because it wants to return to home. Well, home is in the middle of Lake St. Clair. So now I need yep. to try to override it to get it back to the boat. And I'm zigzagging through the, the, the lines for the planer board masts and all this stuff. And we still can't get it into the boat. So I'm like, well, maybe there's no sensor on the backside. Try to turn around, come in backwards. Nope, can't do that. We try to get it with the net. So you go reach up and you grab it with the net. Well, guess what? It senses the net coming at it. So it jumps out of the way of the net. So we can't do that either. <laughs> Next thing you know, like all we do is just watch this thing go beep right into the right into the water. She gone. Oh no! No drones. Oh no! Drones sink pretty fast too. Just in case anybody else cares. So <laughs> it's uh, drone footage can be super awesome. So I told Jason, I said, well, there's I got a couple of I got some video and I'll take some stills of the over top of your boat. It's going to cost you fifteen hundred dollars to get those pictures. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've had some close calls, but I've been fairly lucky. I think my drone's been around for, gosh, probably four or five years now, so it's had a good long life. So I, I, quite honestly, at this point, if I dunk it in the water, I'm probably not going to be too awful sad about it because I feel like I've gotten away with more stuff than most people have. Yeah, well, this year I bought, I think I bought like one called like the, it's called like the Mavic Mini. It's like this little $400 drone, I think. I might have gotten the Flymore combo with like 500 bucks, and it's got the controller and the whole thing right there and it's got almost no sensors on it features are a little bit more limited but i'm like you know what this way if i drop that thing in the water like i'm i typically burn through a gopro every single season it's not a whole lot worse than that on you know as far as the budget's concerned so because you know that's the one thing about all this too what people don't realize is like when you start adding up four or five cameras i mean you're running you know let's just say a gopro if you buy a top of the line one right now they're 300 400 bucks you know, you're in, yep. you know, you're going to be out $1,200 in, in GoPro cameras just on the, on the boat alone. So, I mean, it's just, it, it can add up quick, not to mention, you know, oh, your, sure. like you said, your big camera that you're running, you know, those things aren't super cheap either. Mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're running cameras, uh, so we, we kind of covered the, uh, well, we'll, we'll kind of go over the GoPros. What kind of, what kind of GoPros are you running these days? So the two GoPros that I have on the the pole i'm still using hero three black pluses i i've thought about changing them over but they just they keep running so uh i figure i'm just going to run those ones kind of into the ground uh i have a hero four silver that i wear on my chest and i specifically wear that one because the hero four silver seems to have the best built-in microphone of any of the gopros that i've used and i've had seriously bad luck with external microphones that plug in. I get a lot of clicking and popping. So Hero 4 Silvers, I, I've got probably three or four of them that I just have sitting on a shelf so that when one of them goes to heck on me, I can replace it uh, very quickly. Uh, some of the other cameras, like the Gunnel ones for capturing those boat side hits, I upgraded to Hero 7 Blacks and have had I know people have had kind of crummy luck with them. I've had pretty decent luck with them. 
the big thing about those, and this is where we can really get into the weeds, is the Hero 7 Black I can film at 120 frames per second. So that means when I want to slow that footage down, the slow motion isn't real choppy. And I think that's probably, amongst other things, that's one of the things I notice with a lot of people when they film. They don't realize what they have to have as far as frames per second to slow a piece of footage down and have it look nice and smooth. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of those real, uh, you start getting into, into technical things. A lot of things will film at 30 or 60 frames per second, uh, but to get that real smooth, super slow motion, you have to get up into that 120 and even 240 frames per second so that when you slow it down, you still have a sufficient number of frames per second to uh, kind of be pleasing to the eye. And I guess I'll try to explain that real quick. When you're watching TV or you're watching a movie, you're watching that at 24 or 30 frames per second. Movies are typically 24 frames per second. That's what a lot of people will call a cinematic look. Uh, 30 frames per second is a little bit more crisp, and that's what a lot of TV shows are, are shown at. So when we're filming, if I've got something that is filmed at 100, 120 frames per second, that means I can slow it down five times because five times 24 equals 120. So I can take that 120 frames, slow it down five times slow motion, and still have 24 frames remaining to flash on the screen every second. And that's what gives you a nice slow kind of cinematic look. Uh, conversely, if somebody's filming at 30 frames per second and they try to take that same piece of footage and slow it down five times, well, 30 divided by five is six frames per second. And you can only imagine how choppy that might start to look when you only have that many frames going across uh, every second. So that's that, that. I guess that's one of those real technical things that uh, that might be a little bit of a leap forward here. But uh, I guess since we were talking about cameras, I, I'd, I'd get into that a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, and, and to your point of how much the GoPros cost, uh, a lot of the GoPros I've gotten, you can watch for deals or you can buy. I've I've bought plenty of refurbished cameras on Amazon and have had pretty good luck with them. And if a camera is typically going for three or $400, you can find it refurbished for 200, 250. So you don't have to go in a uh, whole hog as it were to, to get into this. Sometimes you can find some deals on the cameras. On the deal side of it too is, I mean, for people that are looking to get into this right now, typically GoPro put a new, a new release out in September, October. The, so the eights right now are quite a bit cheaper. I think also, I think you can probably get them for below 300 if I'm not mistaken. The other one that I run a lot of is I run the DJI. That's the company that makes the most of the drones, or I'd say the better of the drones, yep. at least the ones I've run. So they have a Osmo Action, same kind of deal. Use I think we can even use the same mounts that all the GoPro stuff does too. And right. so now that camera is... It's just the Osmo Action 1. I can't believe they haven't had a 2 out because this camera is going on two years old. But I think you can get it for under $200 now. It has a mm -hmm. front-facing front screen on it too. So if you wanted to take a selfie or like when I'm up on top on the pole, if I need to um, see where my camera is instead of using the apps, because almost all these cameras nowadays, you can use an app on your phone and see what, see what you're filming. I can turn them and actually turn the front-facing screen on so I can line them all up. And those you can get for, I think, well under 200 if I'm not mistaken, nowadays for a brand new camera. And they'll, you know, they do a great job. The only thing is 
they have a really good uh, mo- motion. Um, oh, stabilization. Sta- there you go, stabilization. They have a really good stabilization. But the only thing is, is on the DJI, it crops it in a little tighter. So you you don't have quite that wide screen, wide feel that you get with the Hero. Sure. So you'll lose a little bit out of that, which I like a little bit more on the GoPro side. I want, as, I want to be able to see as much of that, that field as I can when I'm filming. So mm-hmm. that's the only downfall, I would say, to that camera. I've had, a, I've, and like you said, you've had good luck with the Hero 7s. I've had like terrible luck with the hero sevens. I think they're pretty much the worst GoPro I've ever used in my life. (laughs) I have, I don't know how many of them, four of them. I think I don't use any of them anymore. They're just that the stabilization on those things was unbelievable. The eights is the eight is even better, but I just can't, I just can't, I have too many problems, too many file errors, too many, this, too many, that. And you know, it is when you're musky fishing, you only get one shot. So if yeah. if you have a file error and it'll say like repairing file well, and then it's finally done and it goes about its business, the file's gone. It didn't repair anything. Oh. So for me, that's, I can't, I can't have that. Whereas I found the DJI's to be a little more reliable that way. So for people that are looking for sure. cameras, you know, just, that's just another option. The hero eights, yep. I've had pretty good luck with the hero eights. I've only had a few problems with file issues on those but not too many sometimes i wonder if it's because i'm running you probably run in like 16 gig cards i typically run on my gopros i run 128 gigs and then on my dji's i run 256 because i don't loop i just i just let it go so i get whatever six seven hours of filming out of it depending upon what frame rate i'm filming it i don't know about you do you film in 4k or do you film in 1080 I, I typically do 1080 because I'm not too worried about cropping in on it. There, there are times where I kind of wish I had 4K, but then that really limits you to the frames per second. Typically, 4K, you can only do 24 or 30 frames per second. Some of the new cameras are starting to get into that 60, uh, but then 120, the the problem you start running into there is the file sizes get so big that I'm pretty sure my the computer would just start smoking if I tried to run them. Uh, there's there's just too much information there when you've got 120 frames at 4K resolution. So, um, yeah, 1080 is what I usually do. So 1080p, uh, 60 frames per second uh, is the max on the, the Hero 3s and the Hero 4s. And then I do 120 frames uh, on the 7s. And like I said, that just gives you the option to, to slow the frames down and, and get that nicer, smoother, slow motion out of it. Uh, one of the other things I do is all my cameras I have, you can buy these aluminum CNC uh, cases, they're kind of cages. So the, I guess the downside of that is they're not waterproof. The upside is, is the audio can actually get to the camera because if you've ever heard muffled audio from a GoPro, it probably means it was a hero three or a hero four in the old cases, the old plastic snap cases. And even the even the fives and sixes when they started playing with making the camera itself kind of intrinsically waterproof without having a case, the the audio suffered a little bit. And I think they've they've remedied that on the Hero Seven and the Hero Eight. The the raw audio just from the camera is actually pretty good. Um, but that that's why I, I stuck with the Hero Four Silver. I think that was the last camera they made that actually had a really really good. Uh, microphone that, that didn't have any hindrance from any sort of waterproofing. Uh, so you can get some, some really good audio out of that. Uh, the other thing that the, the aluminum CNC cases let me do is I've got 52 millimeter 
polarized lenses that I can screw on and off. And that really helps for obviously seeing in the water. It's like having a pair of polarized glasses on. So uh, that helps to cut glare, lets you see in the water a little bit better. Uh, but then, you know, we, we talked about how well you can get the cameras a little bit cheaper. Well, this is where the extra money you save kind of goes away because the aluminum cases are $40 and the, the filters I have are $50 filters. So you start adding up all these little ancillary things and uh, your $200 camera all of a sudden turns into a $400 camera again once you get the cords and the cables and a power pack and, and all that stuff to, to run them. So, yeah, it, it's one of those things where you can really you can really go down a rabbit hole or really get in the weeds <laughs> with these things. But that's the case with any, you know, musky fishermen already should know that, that once you kind of get obsessed with something, your your pocketbook is going to take a gigantic hit and, and filming is no different. That's for sure. No, it's, it's probably just as bad. You don't have to maybe buy it as much as often like you would as, you know, if you're musky fishing, but anytime mm-hmm. for me, I'm, I'm a, like, I would say I'm a GoPro junkie. So when the new, when the new one comes out, I'll buy one to see how I like it, see if it's any better than the other ones. And cause I'm always looking for, you know, the better, the better mousetrap, I guess I would say. And like I said, the, sure. you know, you were talking about audio issues with older GoPros. Yeah. The new ones, you don't have those issues at all. The sevens, the eights, in yep. my opinion, they're, I mean, the audio on those things is actually really good. Even the DJIs, mm-hmm. I have no issues with those audios either. They're, you know, they actually probably pick up stuff you don't want to talk about. So <laughs> we always have conversations in the boats about, you know, certain things that probably shouldn't be on, shouldn't oh, be on film sometimes, yeah. you know? That, that that gets to be one of the things that gets tough to edit around. That's where you have to, yeah, get creative with uh, dropping the audio out or maybe adding a song where you maybe wouldn't have before <laughs> to <laughs> sort of cover up uh, maybe some of those uh, conversations that uh, aren't meant for the uh, the public at, uh, at large. <laughs> Absolutely. So then let's talk a little bit. So we got all these GoPro cameras in our boat. How do you go about, mm-hmm. how do you go about powering them all up? So what I used to do was I would run most of these cameras. You can, you can get either the hero threes and hero fours. They're getting increasingly hard to find, but they, the, there was a company called Switronics that actually made a, a battery eliminator. So with those old GoPros, you actually had to have the battery in if you wanted to plug in on the side with a mini USB port. The problem with that was a lot of the times those cameras would overheat because they're trying to charge and they're trying to film. So they're doing two different things at the same time. And, and a lot of times on a hot day that would overheat the cameras, the battery eliminator cords plugged into the back of the GoPros and you didn't have to have the battery in there, uh, eliminated the overheating issue. Um, but you're also paying 30 or $40 for that cord. The new GoPros, uh, the fives and up, if I'm not mistaken, just have a USB C sort of that, oval universal new usb port on the side and you can have the batteries out and just plug them in and you can either i used to plug them into a couple of usb ports that i had uh placed strategically in the boat the problem with that was my two humminbird helix 12s draw a lot of power and the gopros were drawing a lot of power and i was starting to have some battery issues so what i do now is i buy the uh if people have ever bought the batteries to charge your cell phone with it. It basically looks like a cell phone, but it's, it's a giant battery that you can charge your cell phone three or four times with. Those will actually work quite well 
at powering a GoPro for most of the day. And for my chest cam, or if, if somebody's wearing it on their head, they can plug into that, throw it in their pocket, and have consistent power all day long on their person. The other thing that I do with some of my cameras is I've got, if you've got Milwaukee batteries, they're DeWalt batteries, the 18-volt lithium batteries. Those companies make a little shoe, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, that slides over the top and will have a USB port on it. So I actually use a couple of the 5.0 amp Milwaukee batteries to run a couple of my GoPros in the boat. And those things will, that'll run 14, 16 hours uh, on, on one charge, uh, if not longer. Uh, usually at the end of the day, if I've run them all day, they've still got one or two bars left out of four. So um, basically anything that you can power a USB with, you can use to run a GoPro anymore. So uh, I've done a couple of videos on my channel, Angling Anarchy, where I talk about how my cameras are set up. So uh, I know we're kind of, we're bouncing around a little bit here, but if you want to go check out one of the videos so you can actually see what we're talking about, uh, I have three or four videos on my channel that, that discuss camera placement in the boat and then also powering cameras uh, all day long so you don't have to constantly change out the batteries. I should look into that Milwaukee deal because I, you know, for me, I'm still an electrician, so I have a bunch of Milwaukee mm-hmm. stuff. I got the, what I got, the 5.0s. I got some 9.0s. I think I even have one 12.0 that I use on one of my right angle drills. Anyway, so I, sure. should, I should really look into that. That 12.0 probably powered for about a week. But uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the 5.0s will do it all day. I bet you could use two or two or threes, and they'd be they'd be fine all day. But, yeah, it's, it's about a, it's a $30 little thing that you can buy. I think they made it to power up the the, the jackets that Milwaukee makes, oh, the sure. heated jackets. Because yep. there's that round port, and then there's a, a USB port on them, and they – they work out pretty nice for, for powering cameras, so that's that's another option, too, that guys can use. Did you happen to find those? You get them on Amazon, or you go right to Milwaukee? Where do you find those? Uh, I found them on Amazon, and actually, uh, uh, pretty much all the stuff we're going to talk about, if you go in the description of just about any of the videos on my channel, I've got Amazon links. Uh, I tried to put down there for all the cameras, all the equipment, filters, cases, all that stuff. Uh, is if you just look at the one of the latest videos on the channel, there everything should be there uh, for all the stuff we're talking about. And then for anybody that's looking, the battery packs that I always use through are through Amazon. Anyways, they're Anker A N K E R, I believe they are, and you can get them in a yep. uh, bunch of different sizes. I always get one that's like I think it's like twenty thousand milliamps or something like that. Okay, which yep. I, I the, ones, can, the ones I use typically are thirteen thousand milliamp hours. Okay, I have a couple of those because the ones I put in my pocket because those twenty thousands are they might be like twenty one five I actually think, and uh-huh. they're pretty big and heavy. Like I mean, yes. they're not super uncomfortable, but if you had one of those in your pocket all day long for powering the one that's on you, it's it it definitely would be annoying. So I always just get a little smaller one, like you said, like a thirteen or even a ten thousand. I think I can get to power one camera all day. Yep, those are the perfect sizes to throw in your pocket. Yeah, it's smaller than your cell phone, lighter than your cell phone. So I always just put that. I just run the cables, you know, through my shirt down into my pocket. Speaking of mm-hmm. cables, you know, somebody's going to want to probably pick up some six foot USB to USB C cables for the newer cameras. Yeah. I know the older cameras are a little bit different, but almost all the new ones use the USB to a USB C, I believe it is. And Correct. So yep. I always pick up a you know a couple like a pack of those or a couple packs of those because you're going to want them for your cameras going up your poles. Unless, of course, mm-hmm. there's that YOLO tech that you talked about. That's a 
it's a pole that goes and mounts in your light base. But again, much like you talked about with your battery issues, with all the newer electronics that we're running all the time, these, I mean, those electronics themselves drop enough. So it's, yep. you know, I always, I, I typically try to power mine all externally because I don't want anything else drawing anything off my boat because the last thing I want to do is be mm. done filming at the end of the day and have problems because I ran too many cameras and now I can't start my boat or something crazy like that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, the Yolo Tech thing was, it came out a year or two after I was trying to figure out how to outfit my boat. So I had already kind of, and I, I like tinkering. I mean, I'm, I'm the guy that, you know, my wife yells at me all the time because of all the stuff that I have in the garage that I refuse to get rid of because I might use it someday. Well, this was kind of one of those projects. I, I think the camera pole, like I said, was a three quarter inch piece of metal conduit that I got at uh, farm and fleet. Uh, the rest of it is, I can't even remember what I used for the base. And then uh, I had a Ram mount that you'd use to stabilize a trolling motor head. And that's actually how I connect the, the pole to the gunnel of the boat and then there's a base that i have a couple of uh, set screws in to hold the bottom so so the pole that's in my boat even though it's six feet high it's connected very securely at two points that are about two feet apart from one another so i feel confident in, in you know i can i can run in two three foot waves on eagle lake and i leave my cameras up um, whereas I, the yellow tech stick they say you can run in that stuff but i it, you've only got that one point of contact in your uh, in the, the light plug in. And that always kind of made me leery with that camera on top. Now it, it may be perfectly fine. So I don't, I, I definitely won't disparage those because uh, I know a lot of people use them and it's a, a nice easy thing. But for somebody that sort of likes tinkering around and building their own stuff, it was the perfect little project for me when I started out. Sure. Yeah. The other thing that, like I said, the, the Yolo tech has a lot of benefits in certain ways, but the one thing I, I also try to get my cameras up a little bit higher than what that stick allows you to extend. So I wanted, yeah. I wanted a little dis additional height on it and I didn't mm -hmm. necessarily love that what they had. So, I mean, like I said, it's a good product for certain people. Like if all you want to do is just have a camera running in your boat for a it's day, perfect. it's perfect for that. You know, if you want to, yep. if you want to customize where, where you have it located, I mean, maybe you don't want it in that one corner for me. I have a, a mount that slides into a track, uh, you know, like a tracks tech track. And then that's yep. where my pole comes up and my pole's got a couple of different adjustments on it. And so I can put mine right in the middle of the boat, one shining one way, one shining the other, you know, one going the other way. And so mm -hmm. I, it's just a matter of how you want to film your, your catch. But like I said, if you're one of those guys that are like, you know, I think this would be cool to have this in the boat for certain instances, especially like the one instance I always think of is when I fish by myself a lot having all these cameras is unbelievable because I can literally catch a fish, unhook it. I have the whole thing on film and then I don't have yep. to screw around with setting self timers or any of this stuff. I literally hold the fish up in front of my camera mm -hmm. and I know I'm good to go. Even if I want to set up my big camera, I still just run video off my big camera. Cause a lot of times I'll just have, I have a mount that I can use either a tripod mount or a different mount clamp mount for my bigger camera. When I say bigger, much like you, I have a Canon. I think it's uh I can't remember the model number on it. It's an older one, like ADD, I believe it is. It's oh, not, sure. uh, yep. you know, it's not a newer camera. It was, you know, I, when you're in the YouTube thing, you're trying to find things that are relatively like good, but not over the top great because I mean, it, yeah. you, can, you know, it is, you can go out and spend two or $3,000 on a camera. No problem. Like on a big, you know, if you want like, a easily. nice DSL, it's no problem at all. Yeah. And, um, yep, for sure. so, but I wasn't looking to do that because, 
I'm not my keys. I'm not keys outdoors. I don't get paid anything to do it. I just do it mostly right. for the fun of it. And, <clears throat> you know, we do it for promotional stuff too. So that's why, that's why we do it. I make a little bit of money off YouTube, but it doesn't come anywhere close to what it costs me to, to, <laughs> to be in it for the year, you know? Like, oh yeah, absolutely not. You know, I, I, I make probably enough a year to, to maybe replenish a couple cameras if they, uh, kind of take a crap on me or maybe, maybe to upgrade uh, a microphone on, on the main camera. Uh, it, it's enough to that for that. But like you said, it's, for me, it's more of, of promoting chaos tackle a little bit. And I, I just, I, I truly, truly enjoy doing it. I've had plenty of people say, well, doesn't that take away from fishing? And I say, well, I, I honestly don't want to go fishing anymore unless I have my cameras with, because I'm worried I'm going to miss a cool shot. It's, it, it's definitely not for everybody. And I could see, I can probably hear guys rolling their eyes right now, <laughs> me saying that, but, but it's true. It's, it's, it's just become another obsession on top of the musky obsession. And, and I, as much as we like to kind of gripe about musky fishing, I'll gripe about cameras. But at the end of the day, I'm sitting here in front of my computer, editing the footage and getting excited about getting a finished product out on YouTube for, for guys to see. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's kind of become something that I, I really, really enjoy doing. Well, like, like you were talking about, you know, the one thing, you know, the setting up of the camera part, that really, that really isn't any fun. I was out fishing with a friend of mine this past weekend and I said to him, I'm like, the only thing I don't like about running cameras is the setup, the initial setup for the day. When you got to put them here, there and everything, it's, it's really not that much fun. I mean, a couple, no. a couple of different mounts you got to set up. You got to make sure you got the angles kind of right, run your power up to them and all that stuff. But literally, once you get that part done, it's not too bad. Like you said, the mounts that I have, I can run across the lake. It's not a problem. I don't pull yep. anything down. I don't have to worry about it. You know, it's all it's all fine that way. It's just your initial setup. It's just, it's a lot of work. But yeah, the, yeah. I, and usually I can, I can get my kind of main five cameras going in five, ten minutes. And, and, and if, if that's all it takes, then I'm a happy camper, but it, it seems like there's always one camera that you'll, you, you're five minutes into fishing. All of a sudden you hear the, the GoPro beep, 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 beep. You're like, which one of these things just shut off and why is it doing that? And, and then you start, you start getting that a little bit of anxiety. Uh, typically you can just, it, it's just a glitch and you can go turn it back on and you're fine for the rest of the day. But there, there definitely is a little bit of, uh, yeah, there's, there's some anxiety involved with it, I guess you could say. Uh, but it, that's, you just have to know that's part of the game, I guess, and, and go into it knowing that. Yeah, I understand that whole beep, beep, beep thing. I've been down that road a bunch of times. And exactly. When you're running four of them, you're like, all right, which one of these isn't working? Like, we need yep. we need all of them in order to make this work. If we get a figure eight hit right here and I don't have a camera on that one, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, hey, I wanted, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go back around I, I we kind of skipped over um uh catch the vibe so that that was a channel i i started with uh justin blancher from uh echo tail um lures and he and i got together and he could edit and i i had all this film that i didn't know what to do with so we sort of we got together and i i would go out and and film and he would edit but uh it, it's one of those things where uh, i know a lot of guys can sympathize with this is his family life just gets crazy and, and work life gets crazy and and we just didn't have time uh to take care of everything but the cool thing about that channel was it, it it's it basically what got me started i i was able to 
you know, when, when Justin was super busy, I would start to edit some of the films and I started editing on uh, an old crummy laptop that had Microsoft movie maker. I think it was called, it was the free editing software, which didn't really do all that much other than you could clip files and put them together. So I started with that. Um, and then, you know, I, I probably made 40 or 50, maybe 60 videos for that. And, you know, I think each one of them got a little bit better and you learn a little bit more and you watch other videos. You can actually watch YouTube videos about making YouTube videos. That's probably, I watch more of that stuff than I do actual fishing on YouTube. It seems like sometimes getting to this point, but uh, I, I finally graduated up to um, Cyberlink Power Director, which is a little, uh, not quite a professional sort of software for editing video, but it's a, they consider it a, professional consumer or a prosumer uh, grade. And once I got to using that, now you can start doing a little bit more with speeding up your footage, slowing down your footage, using some different filters, doing a little bit of color correction where you can change the exposure or the contrast and kind of kind of touch up the film a little bit if it's a little drab or if it's a little bit overexposed, you can drop the exposure down. So Catch the Vibe was, was really instrumental in helping me learn how to actually make a decent YouTube video. Uh, and then uh, Justin and I talked about making just a, a channel for Chaos Tackle. And the only reason I was leery about making just a Chaos Tackle one is I, I do enjoy other types of fishing. So uh, of the 52 videos a year on my channel, uh, I, I would guess 36 to 40 are muskie related. And the other dozen or so are uh, maybe I go over to take the boat over to Lake Michigan and troll for salmon, or maybe I take my little 12 footer down to the Creek and float for smallmouth and just, just do stuff like that. So I didn't want to just call it specifically the chaos tackle YouTube channel. Um, my friend Nate and I were trying to think of a name for it. And he said, well, what about anarchy? It's like chaos, you know, they're synonymous. I said, okay, that's good. And I said, well, what about angling anarchy? People like alliteration. So that, that works and angling of course works. And so I just took the A from the chaos and sort of turned it into the anarchy symbol with the line through the A as, as a hook. And, and that's kind of how angling anarchy came about so that I could promote chaos tackle, but not be a just chaos tackle, just musky channel. So I guess that's the, the genesis of, of all that stuff. Sure, that's a pretty cool story. And it's also a good thing in, in some senses that you got to practice on that other channel and before yeah. starting the channel that you're that you settled on. No, it's like I said, you you know, I, I'm almost afraid it's much like this podcast, you know, I'm afraid to go back and listen to my early podcast episodes because as you go you get better, more comfortable, more comfortable with the equipment and everything. You can yep. you can flow the whole thing a little better. I'm just afraid to I don't even want to go listen to like the first 10 episodes of the podcast. There's times <laughs> I want to, to see like, you know, the, the difference, but I just, sure. I, I'm sure it's embarrassing actually. So I'm glad that I, <laughs> I'm glad that I, I'm glad that we did it and you have to start somewhere, but it's, you Absolutely, know, it's yeah. much like my YouTube videos are the same thing in the beginning. I, I wasn't as comfortable on camera and I wasn't comfortable. Like, it's just weird. Like when you stick a camera in front of your face and you want to talk to it with nobody there, it's, it's oh, a strange it's feeling. It's it's absolutely i've gotten a lot better at it but it's still even weird now and it's two you know i don't know how many videos later i mean it's two years and i don't know i'd say 
we've probably put out 50, 60 videos on it. It's just a different, a yep. different deal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've gotten really good. If there's nobody around, I can talk to a camera all day. If there's another boat within 500 yards, I feel like they're staring at me. Like, what is this idiot doing over here? And that it gets a lot harder to do. <laughs> so I still have a little bit of, of that anxiety, but yeah, for the most part, I, when I talked about watching some other YouTube videos about making videos, like I said, there's, there's all sorts of stuff you can watch about how to get a channel started and what to do to get subscribers. And one of the gentlemen I was watching, his name is Roberto Blake. And he said, you literally have to make a hundred crappy videos before you're going to make your first really good one. You know, I mean, give or take. So it, to that point, maybe it's not a hundred, but the point he was making is you're, you're not going to come out of the gate making a, a banger video. It's just, it's, it's probably not going to happen because you have to, like you said, you have to learn how to talk to the camera. You have to learn how to be comfortable in front of the camera. You have to learn how to get all that footage and, and keep it organized. My goodness. I mean, that's, that's a project in itself getting home after fishing and then dumping all that footage into folders where you can find it and, and remembering in your head or, or taking notes, it would be a better way to do it of, you know, this happened or, you know, sort of sketching out an outline for the video that you want to make with that, with that footage. And there's just, there's just so much that goes into it. And you're constantly, constantly learning. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and, but I think that's what, that's what makes it fun is if you could just, it's like musky fishing. If you just go out and catch a 15 inch musky every time, as cool as that sounds, it, it wouldn't be as cool as it is now because you have to work so hard for it. Uh, where I, I find this is the same way. It's, this is a lot of hard work and just being, trying to improve on it every time is, is kind of the goal that you're working towards. For sure. So it, it, that, that kind of leads me into where I was going to go with this next one. That is kind of ironic that you went there. It was, so now that you went out, you got, you have your cameras and you have some footage what's what do you like the next the guy's gonna be like well or uh, i shouldn't say guy the the person the angler is gonna be like what do we do with this stuff now what's your process i know for me personally i have external hard drives i have i think now i have three or four of them for the three or four years that we've been filming stuff one is from mm -hmm. one year one is from the next year one is from the next year and i keep that i keep it all on external hard drives partially because it takes up so much room when you film that often. It takes up a ton of room, especially yep. when you're dumping all this footage from, you know, from camera after camera after camera on here. And again, I only keep the stuff, I, you know, when I when I go to export it. Typically, even though I run, I, I don't loop. A lot of guys use the looping feature that these cameras, I run mine mm -hmm. all day. If I have action, I hit start, stop on the camera. So I stop it and then I start it. So then I, all I need to do is go look for where I started and stopped look back at the previous, you know, like whatever, 35 seconds and see, oh, okay, that's where something cool happened. And then I'll dump that footage mm -hmm. so I don't dump tons of it. But still, sure. you need to have some sort of system for this. Without this podcast getting, you know, ridiculously long, I don't I don't want to necessarily talk about the editing process because that's, that's yep. a whole different deal. Like you said, if you want to learn how to edit videos and all that stuff, go on to YouTube. There's plenty of places you can find out how to edit, mm -hmm. how to, how to do cool stuff with whatever software you're using. And, you know, if you want to, if you want the latest and greatest that's out there, otherwise, I mean, even if you have, a, if you have a Mac, I have Macs. If you use um, iMovie, I believe it is cheap, free mm -hmm. software. It's on every single Mac. You can do make 
really cool videos with that. I made my first, I don't know, 40 videos probably just using that. So that's, you know, an easy deal. But what do you do with yep. your, what do you do with your footage? Like, how do you break it down your footage? Cause the one thing I started to do differently this year is I tried to break them down by, by, so normally I would say the previous seasons, if I went fishing on June 12th, I would be like, June 12th would be my folder. And then I would put everything into the June 12th folder. Well, now I go mm, last season because one thing I didn't, I don't, I don't necessarily edit the fishing part of the stuff until a couple days later, or a couple weeks later, or even a couple months later. And now you're trying to piece mm -hmm. all this stuff together, trying to remember your day. So for me now, I, for this season, I started to go June 12th, fish one, <laughs> June 12th, fish two, yep. You know, and then June 12th, B-roll, you know, so I try to break it down a lot smaller. So I have way more folders now, but it's like, so then if I had a cool down low shot from June 12th on fish one, that's all in that same folder versus going June 12th and then trying to find the whole thing to piece it together. How do you lay your stuff out? So I, I do the same thing. I've got some two terabyte Toshiba external hard drives that I have all my footage on. I think I've got, I'm just about filled up thir the third one here. So uh, about to have to buy number four. But when I first started out, what I would do is I would have a folder, like say I was in Canada for a week. I would have Eagle Lake, August, 2018. And in, in that folder, I would have subfolders of day one, day two, day three, up to day seven or eight. And then inside each one of those folders, I would do, you know, Brian's musky 48 or, you know, I, I would label it by fish. And then in that folder, I would put each one of the cameras as a folder that got a little bit, I don't know. That was, that was one step further than I wanted to now, uh, like this trip that I was just on in Northern Wisconsin, I have a folder that's August Northern Wisconsin in that folder is a one through six. And then in each one of those folders is bow, stern, gunnel forward, gunnel back, chest cam, drone it's all the cameras and i just dump the footage in there you have to do a little bit of searching but for the most part my my chest cam is sort of the the main footage that i base everything off of because that's where the, all the good audio comes from of, of me talking so i'll usually go through the chest cam and i have basically saved any, anything that i want to have in that video is saved on the chest cam so i can bring those up as my sort of main layer when you're editing and then I can overlay different shots like from the bow or the stern or, or, or that sort of thing over that. So I, I'll just go to that folder and kind of scroll through until I find that and I can uh, sync the two, the two together. And actually, without getting too much into editing, that's one of the really cool things I found with the piece of software I have. As long as the audio is decent on both cameras, you can highlight both of them and, and there's like the sync audio button. And that has saved me probably days <laughs> worth of what I, what I used to do is go and look at the wave format, you know? So if you're, if you're looking at your video file, you've got the video file on top and typically the wave format of this, the audio on the bottom. And before you'd kind of have to look and see where two similar spikes were or, or try to listen to them and, and sync them manually. Uh, and that, that auto sync up really uh, works cool. If you're trying to layer multiple, tracks over one another and, and cut back and forth. Cause I think that's one important thing too, that guys don't realize, you know, if, if you think you're just going to go out and make a video, a cool video that's 20 minutes long off of just head cam footage or just 
chest cam footage, that's a tough putt because it, a video is way more dynamic if you have other camera angles that you can cut between. And I think it just it gets a little boring if you just have that that single perspective all the time. So being able to kind of layer different pieces of footage together is important in, in uh, for for my stuff anyway. Yeah, I won't disagree with you one bit, and and that's where you gave Keys credit earlier in the episode, and I would I would agree. Like I think a lot of us have modeled our our, our the way we film, the way we lay out our cameras, the way Keys did it. Because in my opinion, like absolutely, he was a pioneer that way within the musky space because of how he did it. I mean, that's what made his. That's still what makes his his um his his videos and his show watchable is because of that whole. Yeah the whole process that he goes through. I mean, you have different camera angles here and there and everywhere. And I mean, that's what made, that's what makes it great. And like I said, I mean, I think we all kind of owe him a little bit in that sense. Not that we couldn't have figured it Absolutely. out, but he was definitely the pioneer yep. in that way. Yep. I would say so. And, and, and not to say that like a show like, so say like uh, uh, Jim Sarek and the Muskie Hunter, that show has its own way of being dynamic, but, but he has a cameraman where, you know, you and I aren't going to have a cameraman and, and Mike was doing, you know, this was sort of a, a experiment in self filming. And this was the only way you could do it is with, instead of a cameraman able to take multiple angles, you have to have cameras set at multiple angles and then uh, kind of clip shots between all of them to kind of cobble together uh, one continuous shot that doesn't look like it's all coming from the same spot. I certainly agree. Well, Brian, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to talk about the, you know, the background, how the season's been going, how to get guys started filming. If anybody wants to know more about Angling Anarchy and your channel and you, how do they go about doing that? Sure. Um, the, the YouTube channel is just Angling Anarchy. You can type it in and it should pop up uh, right off the bat. Uh, you can go on Facebook. Uh, I just use my, well, I do have an Angling Anarchy page. So you can look at that. Otherwise, Brian Scaife, you can look me up and uh, find me there. Shoot me a message on there. I'm on Instagram under angling underscore anarchy. And yeah, that was, those are kind of the main ways. If, and if you have a question and one of those doesn't work out, you can always leave a comment in the uh, in the YouTube videos too. That, that always helps out. So uh, any, any one of those ways. Um, yeah, and I, thank you so much for having me on. I mean, this is... Uh, I'm on the same podcast as Michael Lazarus for gosh sakes. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is, a, this is a big deal, man. This is really cool. So thank you so much for having me on. And, um, it's just, it's been a blast to get to talk to you. I know we get to talk at the shows, uh, for the last couple of years, but, uh, it's fun to, uh, finally do a, do a podcast with you. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming out and talking a little bit about fishing and filming. And, you know, I hope that, uh, the end of your season is is good. I mean, it sounds like you're having a better season than me. So hopefully you have, you continue down that path and your falls really good. And I keep looking, you know, I, I, when I got time to watch some YouTube stuff, I definitely check out your channel. So keep up the good work. And like I said, Brian, thanks again for coming out and thanks for all of our listeners for listening in this week. We'll catch you all next week. Thanks again, Brian. Thank you, sir.